look at Exodus 5 and 6, take the next couple of steps in our story. I've been loving this portion of the story in part because uh, the story of Exodus is a gospel story. It is a story of bondage and deliverance, oppression and liberation, captivity and freedom. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story, um, and then we're going to we're going to we're going to examine the gospel as it's presented in this part of the story. But if you're here this morning and you are uh, wanting freedom for yourself, if you like, maybe there's maybe maybe all of your life or maybe a portion of your life you feel like there's. There is uh, bondage or oppression. This message is for you. But also, if you're walking with someone and you want freedom for them and your, your heart is for them to see them liberated, uh, this is for you. So Exodus 5, our story. Moses and Aaron, finally it's go time, right? It's game time. It's time to... Uh, carry out their very, well, for Moses, his very reluctant set of responsibilities. And so they went to Pharaoh, and they said, Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, huh? Who said what? Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, and also I have no plans of letting these people go. So what are we even talking about? You guys can leave. Well, the story tells us in Exodus 5, it says that Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's presence, and that Pharaoh, the very same day, uh, called his taskmasters into his court, and he said, um... I want you to stop supplying the people of Israel with straw for their brick making. So apparently, and we're finding these details out as we go through the story, one of the primary responsibilities that Pharaoh had given the people of Israel was to make bricks. And he had always supplied the straw for them to make the bricks, which was one of the primary ingredients. And he says, we're no longer going to supply the straw for you. You're going to have to find your own straw to make bricks. However, I am not reducing the daily brick-making quota that I had previously enforced. So now you have to find your own straw, but you also have to produce the same number of bricks. And it says that the people scattered all over the land uh, trying to find straw to collect their own straw to continue to meet their brick-making quota. Pharaoh says this, verse 8. These people are lazy, and that is why they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our gods. So without the ingredients, having to find their own ingredients, the people of Israel started to slip on their quota. And the taskmasters, the Egyptian taskmasters, treated them very severely, treated them very brutally for their inability to meet the quota. And so finally, the Israelite leaders went to Pharaoh and asked him, 
Why this sudden change? Why are you no longer providing straw, requiring the same quota, and treating us so much more severely? And Pharaoh says in verse 17, or sorry, yes, verse 17, he says, lazy, that's what you are, you're lazy. And that is why you have asked me, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. And the people, the, the Israelite leaders looked at each other. Wait, did you ask him that? Who asked him that? Nobody here asked him that. Who said, who asked you if we could leave and go sacrifice to the Lord? It says in verse 20, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet with them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. For you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Look what you've done. You stirred the pot, and now Pharaoh is very angry. And Moses responded to the Lord. Why? Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Because you don't like me and you wanted everyone else to not like me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has only brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. So you sent me down with one assignment. I was supposed to speak to Pharaoh, and I was going to be your mouthpiece, and you were going to deliver your people. I did my part. Pharaoh got angry, now all the people are angry, and you're not doing your part. And the Lord responded to Moses. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Notice how many first-person references there are in this, in this portion. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Not only is he going to let them go, he's going to send them out of this country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant with them. God tells Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to tell the people of Israel that I am going to dramatically rescue them from Egypt. I am going to redeem them to myself I am going to take them to the land that I promised them, and once there, I will be their God. And Moses said, okay. So he went and he told the people. And the leaders of the people of Israel said, leave us alone. You are not helping. And they rejected his message because of their harsh conditions. 
and God reappeared to Moses. Poor guy. <laughs> what? What? What do you want? I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him again to let my people go. And Moses says, it's not working. I told you in the wilderness, I'm not good at this kind of a role. I already tried to be compelling. I tried to sell him on the idea. I tried to be convincing. He was, he flat out rejected me. And that's exactly what's going to happen again. I'm not good at this kind of a thing. And that's the end of chapter 6. <laughs> so I'm going to make, I'm actually going to make five observations. Five. It's been a while since I've done five-point teaching. But I want to review a couple of things because I want to make sure we fully understand the context before we jump into this. So first of all, we have our oppressor, right? Our evil, powerful ruler who wants to keep everyone in bondage. Then we have our deliverer, God's chosen ambassador, God's middleman, the one he has sent to rescue the oppressed. And then thirdly, we have the oppressed, God's people, the ones who are in bondage. And what is the, the attitude or the disposition of each of these? Well, we find out right away that Pharaoh says, nope, I am not willing to participate in whatever plan you think that God is up to. I'm not on board with it. I'm not going along with it. No, thank you. We also have a deliverer who says, nope, I'm not on board with this plan. I'm not interested in being a part of it. You're welcome to find someone else. I would be very happy if you would not include me. And then we have the oppressed, the people of God, who say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. We don't want any part of this plan. We are unwilling to be uh, lumped in with you. What a great story. No one, no one wants to be a part of this deal. And then we have God. But what I find fascinating is that when God speaks to Moses, he says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 400 years previously. That's what I'm doing. You don't want to be a part. Pharaoh won't go along. The people are freaking out. I'm going to do this because I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I would do this. So here are five gospel probabilities that I think are, are laid bare in this story 
and I think are supported by the rest of redemptive history or the rest of this redemptive story. The first one of this, the first one is this. Maybe, maybe God's plans for me are bigger than just me. Maybe what God is doing that involves me is about more than just me. Maybe he's up to something bigger. And in this story, regardless of the unwillingness of literally everyone involved in this story, God says, I'm going to do it because I have a deal with Abraham. Some of you have heard me say this, and I feel this way very strongly. In the last 12, 13 years, I have a strong confidence that the spiritual vitality for myself and my family is in large part because of the prayers of our elders. You ever have those days where you just feel not particularly likable or impressive to God? It's on those days that I think to myself, I'm really thankful that our elders are praying for me and my family because I'm confident that God really likes them. And maybe, maybe they could strike a deal that would be in my best interest, right? that they would say to God, hey, would you watch out for Aaron and his family? And God, not even directly out of a commitment to me maybe, but out of a commitment to them would say, sure. Consider the fact, wherever you are at in fighting the battle and duking it out in the day to day and trying to move towards freedom in Christ, Consider the fact that there's probably more going on than just what's going on between you and God directly. John 6:38. This is Jesus speaking. He says, "I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me." And this is the will of him who sent me. That of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing but I will raise it up on the last day. Even the Son of God himself says, I'm gonna rescue you. And I'm gonna rescue you because the Father wills it, the Father wants it, and I'm committed to doing what the Father wants. And he said to make sure that you don't get lost. So I'm gonna make sure that you don't get lost. Maybe God's plans for me are bigger than just me. Number two, maybe God's commitment to my freedom is greater than my own. How many of you have ever had that moment where you're fighting to be free, where you say, man, if only I had more conviction, if only I was, I was more determined, if only I was more this or that, then I would be free. Maybe God's commitment to your freedom is greater than your own. God looks down on his people and he says, I'm committed to setting you free. And they say, no thanks. 
and he says, oh, you will be free. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we would ask or even think. To a God who is able to do not just more than you have the proper articulation or thought process to ask of him, he's able to do more beyond what you could even imagine to ask of him. What if God was at work in your life before you even knew to ask him to be at work and was willing to shoulder more of the burden than you would even dare to ask him now? What if his commitment to you is far greater than your commitment to him? You ever see those videos where they're there's like a, a deer or an elk or something wound up in a barbed wire fence with its antlers and there's three guys, right, risking life and limb to try to untangle the animal and the animal's hooves are flying every direction trying to fight for its own survival, not realizing that these are hands that care and want to set free. What if God looks down on us and says, you are stubborn, aren't you? And I am going to set you free. Number three, maybe God's goodness is worth your oppressor's brutal resistance. very first experience on the pathway to complete liberation, the very first step on that pathway that these people experience is a significant worsening of their situation. And I have found again and again in my role as a pastor that many people don't go after freedom because of the pain of the first step or two. And maybe it's just the pain of being known as someone who's been in bondage. And so we stay there. But what if God's goodness is worth your oppressor's brutal resistance? And what if the brutal resistance of the enemy of your soul is related to his realization that he's about to lose control of your life forever? And he says, no, 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 let's not that, let that happen. Let's ramp up the oppression. Let's ramp up the attack and make sure that we keep them too distracted, too busy to actually step into freedom. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever hardship you face, whatever difficulty you experience along the pathway, is it possible 
that what God is leading you toward is infinitely more valuable than whatever pain in getting there. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found, and he hid it again, and from joy over it, he goes and he sells everything he has and buys that field. This treasure that he's found, the value of this treasure is so great, he sells all of his possessions in order to acquire it because all of his possessions actually pale in comparison to the value of the treasure that he's found, right? Number four, maybe God's intentions are not contingent upon your abilities. What is, what is the, the source of your fear? If you could, uh, Emily, if you could put that next slide up for me. I think each of us um, kind of uniquely place our fear. Some of you look at the world around you and you're very afraid because of the evil powers at work. It's very concerning to you, right? Some of you maybe look at God's chosen ambassadors. That's us, right? And you go, man, we are not cut out for this. We are not really doing a fantastic job. Or maybe you look at the unwilling masses who are too complacent to go after their own freedom, and you go, whew, man, that's a tough assignment. Have you ever considered that maybe God's intentions are not contingent upon your abilities? Moses says, no, thank you. Pharaoh says, nope. And the people say, no way. And God says, I'm on it. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it by my might, by my power, based on my covenant, my agreement, my promises. First Corinthians 1, 26. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. <laughs> I love this. Paul's talking to this church, and he's like, look around. I mean, let's be honest. We're not that impressive, right? <laughs> but there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, that is, the wisdom of the world. God has chosen the weak things based on the world's standards to shame the things that are strong by the world's standards. And the insignificant things of the world, the despised, God has chosen those things, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. All of the things that we would put our confidence in that would make us feel maybe better about the odds of God accomplishing his purposes, he says, I don't need any of those things. You can give me all unwilling parties and you won't slow me down. Number five. Maybe God's glory is proven by his ability and not mine. 
know the number of times in the Old Testament where God says, in fact, Jesus says this in the New Testament. He's like, if I had picked any other group, they would have responded better. But I picked you because I'm going to show something about me. Maybe the glory of God is proven by his ability, not mine. A continuation of the First Corinthians passage, Paul says, the reason that God chose the weak things, the foolish things, the insignificant things, is so that no human may boast before God, but it is due to him, it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God in righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. God provided all of those things so that just as it is written, if you're going to boast, do this, boast in the Lord. God has set the pieces on the board exactly according to his will. to accomplish his good purposes as a demonstration of his own glory. And so whether you're the one in bondage, looking towards freedom, God's got this. He is capable. In fact, his commitment to your freedom far surpasses your own. And his ability far exceeds what you would even know to ask or think. And if you're the one walking with others, feeling your own inability, your own weakness, I'm not cut out for this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God, I'm not good at this. And when I've tried to speak into their lives, it seems like the situation worsens. And God says, now you will see what I will do. God, we come before you as those that are dependent and in need. We come before you as the ones who are desperate for your intervention. We come before you as the ones who need to see your mighty hand at work in our lives. to see your rescuing hand that liberates, that sets us free. May all the glory be yours. God, I would ask specifically for those here this morning who are, who are living in bondage, who are longing for freedom, longing to be rescued from their oppressors. God, would you reach out to them this morning right now here? Grab them by the hand. Would they know your presence? May our confidence be in you because you are mighty to save. 
I pray that we would turn to you, look to you, and that our confidence would be in you. You are able. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.